and welcome to episode 13 of The Two Tones with Tony DeVolfo. Greetings, Tony. How are you? And uh, very well, Tony Moclair. Episode 13, which we know, of course, makes it the great cranium <laughs> Miller Manor. <laughs> episode Mill. Uh, of course, Bert Thornley, Gilbert Thornley, the man... Who made way for Ted Hopkins at halftime of the 1970 Grand Final? That um, took a lot of yes, grace. Yes, a lot of grace. And je ne sais quoi. Bert was number 13. And I seem to recall Eric Pascoe. Now, Eric, Eric Pascoe was one of those fellows that, a Benigo boy, if memory serves, who mm. dominated at reserve grade level and yet couldn't quite make the transition at senior level. I remember him going around the 30s. He, he looked like an Adonis. He absolutely yeah. uh, looked magnificent. Um, just couldn't quite, you know, string to those senior regular games together, but wore the number 13, if I rightly recall, Tone. So, uh, well, yes. speaking of not being able to make the leap from VFL to the seniors, one person who did that so magnificently, with the, where on earth was he keeping that defensive <laughs> yeah. ability? You know I speak of Liam Jones, but Tone... Where do we begin oh, when it comes to a forensic examination of that win on Sunday? Look, oh, my God. Where do, where do you start? Where does it end? It's, uh, it's like a Duracell battery tone. It just goes on and on. But, look, what a magnificent result uh, to postscript a um, – or not postscript, put the exclamation mark on a, a solid four-quarter performance. Yeah, yeah. Probably the first – Four-quarter showing that we've seen from the Carlton team this season, yep. as well as they've played in other games. Um, you know, the, it was frenetic, wasn't it, that last two or three minutes of the of the contest. But the game was, was like that pretty much throughout. You mm. know, there was – I mean, goals were hard to come by. You know, the pr- mm. pressure was enormous. The intensity was there, you know, from the from the get-go. And, um, gee, when Jake Wiedering – Vietering soccer that ball, you know, out of harm's way, 26 to go on the clock. Yeah. It was just such a magnificent um, Great bit of instinctive finale. play. It was. It yeah. was. And it was a, it was a soccer kick. Yep. You know, he didn't gather the ball. He, he weighed it up and just let rip with his right foot. I reckon Messi would have hung around. Have a look at that. <laughs> what do you reckon? Was he in the stands, Tone? I know he, he was in town. He wanted to see a great was, game of football. It was just magnificent. One thing I will say, I didn't hear the siren. You know, I, I, a lot and of people it was, said that. You know, Dave Cunningham, the, the rising star, another one this yeah. week, said that he couldn't hear the final siren. I certainly couldn't hear it. Um, so, you know, when that ball was coming back towards uh, the the top of the square, mm. there were heart palpitations for sure, you know, yeah. and, and then suddenly the game stopped. It was it was ours. Um, just a magnificent performance. And uh, what what a... What a tribute to, um, you know, Mark Murphy, the captain, the players, to coach Brendan Bolton and his, yeah. his assistants uh, for, for the meticulous planning that went into this game. Yes. And for the self-belief that the players had in taking GWS, um, uh, you know, a, a premiership aspirant. Well, th- that uh, self-belief, I think, had been instilled in the group because – and. Um, I said this on my highly rated night show on 3AW time. I could tell in the press conference after the North Melbourne game that Bolts was spewing that that four-quarter effort had dropped off. There were three, in particular two great quarters, eight goals to one, and it had fallen away in the last quarter. And he knew the list. He knew the team was capable of putting in and applying themselves and concentrating for that four quarters. And you could tell he was filthy about well, about the outcome. And so you throw in a week's break and players are primed, they're ready and they're 
they're mentally ready to win and take on. And there was there was an obvious and apparent self belief in the whole performance. Very true, Tony. And I think when you reflect on that post match press conference after the North game, you look back at it as you know a pivotal moment because, as you say, I think youth and inexperience was no longer yep. used as an excuse. And I, I do believe that Bolton raised the bar for mm. the team there. That you know. This must take four quarters. You know that, that that an effort has to be prolonged and sustained throughout four quarters for the uh, desired outcome to be achieved, as was the case against GWS. So um, yes, it's a it's a fair point that you make uh, about about you know the the standard being set, and um, I, I just think the players to a man really um, responded to the enormous challenge. And you talked about the buy. I think that was significant. Mm. Carlton fresh off the bye, yeah. f- confronting GWS who are limping towards the yes. bye this week. Yeah. And I, I do think in a tight game, mm. you know, uh, maybe that was the little edge that, that Carlton needed to get the result. So uh, yeah. what a great, great result it was. Well, can't come quickly enough for, for Green, I think, of GWS... Um, have I got his name right? Toby Green, Toby yes. Green, yes. The yeah. five missed shots. Yes. You know, and they missed a few early. But then again, I, I, you know, I think back to the, the – there were two that the big fellow missed, Cruz and a third. And yeah. I think Levi sent one awry as well. He and did. then that, that one late in the game of Zach Fisher's that yeah. probably he should have got, you know, mm. point-blank rage on the run, dead in front. That but, probably would have iced the game there and then. So plenty of players of both sides had chances. Yeah. But I suppose that – is a reflection on the pressure and the intensity of the game that mm. you know that players from both sides just weren't able to nail those uh, those big goals at, at pivotal times. There was a there was a hell of a lot happening. Can we talk about Cruiser? It was his one hundred and fiftieth game. What a, what a game. I just don't know. We you know he, he's just quickly cementing a place in the pantheon. Yes. He's just, you just want an excuse to mention the word pantheon. <laughs> well, no, I think he belongs there. He's he's just a giant of a man. He is in every respect, Tony. And uh, you know, cometh the hour, cometh the man. One hundred and fifty games, and you know, you couldn't say that it's been smooth sailing mm. for the big fella throughout. You know, there's been so many, you know, hurdles, uh, physical hurdles and mental, I guess, that he's had to overcome along the way. But you know, significantly, you know, we look at. The 2017 season is the the season in which he uh, he started out um, with the fully uh, um, completed preseason, mm. got the body right, mind certainly right, and it, it's certainly reflecting the way he's playing. You know, you know, you know, Munford's a huge challenge for any mm. any ruckman, but Munford was spent. Yeah, you know, and Cruz kept fighting away. You know, and I, I just think you know. Notwithstanding his contested work, his ability to follow up and just mm. you know drive himself, find the reserves to get to the next context, next context, and the next, uh, it must rub off on the players that already respect him and look look up to him so highly. And um, uh, you know they do say, Tony, don't they? That the big blokes take longer to develop. Well, yeah. what Cruz is at twenty seven, twenty eight now, and you'd have to say, you know, touch wood, the best years are no doubt ahead. Uh, for, for Matt Cruiser and um, Carlton is certainly going to reap the rewards providing he can keep his body right. Two other players. There, are, Of course, there are many players that need to be mentioned. Where do you begin? Where do you end? That's the problem we have. Um, I'm going to mention two to you, Tony DeBolfo. Of course, uh, Liam Jones and that 
incredible defensive effort, like repulsing attack after attack yes. with his athleticism. Let's yes. talk about him Let's in a talk sec. About him. And, but Bryce Gibbs's game and his physical courage really well, needs to be acknowledged because it was amazing. That's very true. And there was a moment uh, in play where I, I can recall Cruiser take that, you know, terrific contested mark in the second half, mm. and Mumford trying to, you know, physically unsettle Cruiser and push him over. Gibbs was in Mumford's face. And I thought, <laughs> wow, that, that is magnificent yeah. to see. Good on you, Bryce. <laughs> I love seeing that. And that's that, that reflects the mindset, you know, and the, and the attitude that the players, you know, now have. That's the something that uh, the Bolts referred to in the press conference after the game, that they're a team who will die for each other on and off the field. Well, and that, that is a, a, a big cultural difference from, from, you know, two, three years ago. Absolutely. You know, they look out for each other's backs. And I've often lamented the lack of protection that the captain, Mark Murphy, has had along the, along the journey. I, I've never felt that he was really helped by the umpires a lot, mm. but I don't think that, <clears throat> that his teammates necessarily flew the flag when, yeah. when he was under siege. As you say, Tony, now it's happening, and it's not just with Murph. I mean, Gibbs was in Mumford's face to, to uh, come to the rescue of Big Cruiser, mm. and that says a lot about mm. the mindset of this team and, and, the, and, the, and the will to um, fly the flag for their own, and um, it's strength in numbers, and it's the only way that, you know, you can get an outcome in this day and age. You know, you, you, you have to have every player performing to his optimum, mm. but being prepared to fly the flag for the for the common good. And that's what we're seeing across the board with this Carlton team right now. Um, and, you know, also being empowered to play at their best, which they clearly are. Speaking of which, Liam Jones. Liam Jones. Look, it was just a staggering performance um, from a player that, it has to be said, had, had been um, uh, performing accordingly at VFL level mm. in defence for a number of weeks. I think he was a bit unlucky. He broke down um, uh, not so long ago. Probably would have got his chance a little bit earlier than he had, think, yes. Yeah. But uh, comes into the team this week and um, just, I mean, he, he was outstanding. The, you know, his intercept marks, his capacity to, to um, get a fist into to thwart pattern marking contest. And I think his ability to... Um, cover the ground, which was probably a, a knockback on him for so long in his career that, mm. you know, we knew that he was this accomplished uh, high mark. He can do these things, but when the ball hit the deck, he tended to be lost to the next contest. Well, what we saw was um, the second and third efforts from, from um, Liam Jones. And again, to me, that reflects a change in mindset. And Brendan Bolton, to his credit, um, you know, put um, Jones back to the twos and obviously there were areas of of his game that Jones needed to work on and, and I'm sure the coach would have impressed it upon him in, those, mm. in certain terms. These are the things you have to do to get back in. Well, there's a success story. There's a, there's a story of a player that has found a way to effectively reinvent himself where um, in, a, in a climate where most people thought, you know, um, he was... Um, uh, on the slippery slope, yeah, you know, papers oblivion. have been stamped, kind of thing. A yeah, absolutely, but... and uh, you know, all power to him. Look, Patton, you know, was probably a player that suited Jones in this matchup. Uh, we face a different uh, opponent this week, Tom mm. Lynch, uh, who mm. absolutely um, yeah, had, a, had it on a platter when yeah. we last played. So this will be the test for Liam Jones. But um, look, you'd have to think that after a performance like that, the confidence would 
would be enormous. And let's hope he can back it up with another good one this week against Gold Coast. Uh, Lynch's game last time was phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, obviously. Um, now, you know, the usual suspects, of course, Doherty, uh, what oh. do you say? Marchbank continues to impress. Simo, loving it <clears throat> like a pig in mud, <laughs> loves a tight contest. He, he's wallowing and speaking, it. And speaking of, you know, somebody who will just, physical courage, uh, second nature, and, you know, standing up for his mates. Absolutely. In the that, Navy Blue, magnificent. Yeah. Um, Gibble, we've mentioned. Murph, uh, heard him interviewed during the week, and he, he just sounds completely different. Yes, yes. He, he, what did you glean from that? Just that... Well, I was um, – don't take this the wrong way, but I was taking with how articulate he is and um, and he was just talking about the systems and strategies that Brendan Bolton has brought to the club and just how much he's enjoying his football this time around because a lot of the turbulence has passed, obviously. You know, the board has done a great job of, of kind of imposing some stability with the appointment of Brendan Bolton. I'm not quoting Murph here. I'm just um, reading between the lines. And um, – he just, uh, I think he, he just mentioned that the, the, I guess the leadership group, um, how deep that kind of level of ability goes in the leadership group and how that kind of radiates out to younger players who then radiate it back, if you know what I mean. Yes. So there is, there's just a great kind of corporate, um, I don't know, what do you call it, atmosphere here mm-hmm. um, at the that moment. Three decor, you yes, might say. Yeah, there you go. That, that might be the thing. But, uh, you know, when we reflect on the years to date, Tony, we, we're not only, you know, much been made of the of the youth, but it's the senior players that we've all discussed here. You've mentioned them all. We've mentioned them all here this morning that are playing, you know, arguably the best football of their careers. I'd certainly say Cruiser is playing the best football of his career. Mm. I reckon Murph's close to it and probably Bryce Gibbs as well. And, and Simo, well, he he's just the evergreen, isn't he? Yeah. He just keeps on keeping on. But uh, what, what we're seeing is um, collective improvement across the board, young and old mm. and in between. And it's just, it's infectious. It's obviously become infectious. And a win like that against GWS will only serve to heighten the self-belief mm. of this group. <clears throat> Uh, must have now that they can well they can take on anyone any given day and, and knock them over. Well, <coughs> we need to <coughs> excuse me. We need to mention um, the work of Stephen Silvani. Um, mm. um, firstly, his son. There was a tackle he laid there that was just immense. It was just fantastic. I think it was in about the third quarter. But Stephen Silvani's job as recruitment manager. You and, and look at this stat if you don't mind, Tony DeBolfo. Yes, Carlton have their third. Third rising star nominee by round what twelve? Twelve, and 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 you know when we think that for many a season, my time here, we've been bereft of a, a rising star nominee, uh, you know, in any stage through the season. Yes, that says it all, doesn't mm. it? You know that that uh, that's tribute to uh, the list manager and his his department of recruiters that have obviously um, made canny calls with uh, their selections in recent times and. Um, I, I, you know, I've said it a lot, Tone, that, um, you know, the destination whets the appetite, but it's the, the journey mm. is, is just every bit as enjoyable mm. because we're seeing the emergence of these players and uh, it's so exciting, you know, to go along and watch these young blokes, you know, pit their skills. And the thing with the young players too, they have no fear of, you know, of, reputation of the, the opponent that they yeah. they get from week to week. You know, it doesn't mean a thing to them. They play with this freedom and um, I just love the way that, they, um, that they're backing themselves and, mm. um, and they're being encouraged by the coach and the you know, powers that be to, to play an attacking brand of football. It's great to watch 
And um, you know, uh, you made the journey go on. It's just it's just magnificent to see at the moment. And if you're wondering who those three are, those three rising stars, they're SPS who had the week off, had the week off. Um, Caleb March Bank, Bank and, uh, and, and, and now, now Dave, Dave Cunningham. Cunningham. And Dave Cunningham, you know, uh, um, that he he was the pickup for the uh, the selection Carlton acquired from Richmond for Chris Yaron. So it's looking pretty well, good at the moment, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and uh, like, like David's only starting out, I know, but uh, what I've seen, he looks the most accomplished midfielder. He, he doesn't panic. He's a good mover. He makes good decisions and kicked two to near the week. And he's a, yeah. he's a nice finisher. So uh, he, looks, he looks cool to me. Uh, um, in fact, he just had his hair cut and I, I had a look today. And it, to me, he looked like, um, uh, like, like Ben Cousins. Yeah, he sort of in looks anyway. Um, he was half as good as Ben Cousins, we right? But uh, <laughs> but no, a, a great addition to the Carlton midfield, and um, you can't get enough midfielders, Tony. That's the engine room, and mm. um, you know I think I think we're starting to develop a nice little f- flotilla there um, mm. of baby blues. I don't know why the media haven't picked up on baby blues again because that's what we are. We're a young team that we're on the make, and um, it's just very exciting to see these players emerge. Well, also in the acknowledgement they got in the press conference by GWS's coach after the game. Yes, yes. He, would, he, he referred to it as a 60-40 game, I think he yes, said. Yes, yeah. that he, he thought the odds were a lot uh, uh, narrower than the punters or the pundits. Well, the at the were $11. Yeah, well, that's, that's right. You know, you can't, we can't bet, Tony, but it was $4.50, oh. I think. Good luck to anyone that got on there. Um, also, you know, said that this is a team on the rise and they were, they're going places. So um, yeah, There's respect, is there? And there's yeah. healthy respect now from people who know. Yes. And that, uh, sadly, has not been uh, always with Carlton teams of recent years. Um, uh, but there's a, I think there's a healthy respect now for... Uh, amongst opposition clubs for for this particular team and where it's going under under um, their coach and teacher, Brendan Bolton. Well, one place they are going is Metricon Stadium. That's next week versus the Gold Coast Suns. As we said, it was not a good outcome last time. Uh, 90 points, I believe. It was a fair old belting, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, y- you would confidently predict the margin will be much narrower than that. Now, um, a repeat of that performance, I think, is highly unlikely. I would have thought so. And as I say, I'm sure that the players will go north with um, a great degree of confidence, not overconfidence, but a great degree of confidence, and they'd be, uh, you know, championing the bit, the opportunity of getting a, a chance to right the wrong mm. against Gold Coast. Um, it's just another challenge, isn't it? Every, every game's a challenge. Um, we're 16th on the ladder and we're a damn good 16th place team, I reckon, Tony, at the moment. Just goes to show how even the competition mm-hmm. is. But hopefully, hopefully we can continue um, to build. Um, you know, the Gold Coast game serves as another stepping stone um, and I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. So just a great challenge. that, um, And I think we can go up there and play with a little bit of freedom and really take the game on as we have done for most most of this season so far. Do you think SBS comes back into the team? Uh, p- possibility, isn't it? It's a big ground, it's a dry mm. track. I'm, I'm guessing I haven't seen a weather report, but it'd uh, be a reasonable chance. The thing I'd say with Brendan Bolton is that um, he's always played players on form. Yeah. You know, the reputation counts for nothing. The nice thing is, Tone, is that the, the VFL team has won six on end. Yes. So there is obviously competition for spots. That's, that's healthy. So um, it'll be interesting to see the makeup of the team. I suppose anyone that was part of 
the uh, the win of the weekend would, it would be a bit hard to dislodge at the mm. moment. It'd be interesting to see well, how the team <coughs> fares. Alex Silvani, obviously, I haven't had a report yet on on where he's at with his knee injury. I mean, that's the other thing that it should be kept in mind. Silvani was out of the game, I think, by quarter time. Yeah. So they were nineteen uh, or whatever it was tw- tw- twenty one men, uh, one down, mm. um, and yet you know the backline looked watertight, didn't it? It was yeah. um, and. Uh, Cometh the hour, cometh the man, Liam Jones. You well, are a star. What happens in that? Because one of the reviews I read of the game that <clears throat> said Carlton's strategy was basically to absorb any thrust into the forward fifty, and then repel, and it just kept, and you would have noticed um, how unproductive it was for GWS when they went forward. Very true, and very true. So uh, I kept thinking, well, what happens when you introduce Kieran Byrne into that? Well, well that's true. I was thinking about this this morning, Tone, funnily enough, um, with the return, anticipated return of Kieran Byrne, whenever that might be. Uh, now, Kieran's, you know, uh, cut his teeth as a half-back flanker, a mm. rebounding half-back flanker. Um, what does that then mean for Simo or Sam Doherty? Uh. You know, does that free Sam Doherty to go up the ground Midfield. I mean, there's some mouth-watering scenarios mm. here. Um, again, just to get a, a player as capable as, as um, um, young um, Kieran back into the team, it again gives the coaching staff a, a, another option. Um, so that's that's uh, you know a, a mouth-watering you know scenario. What mm. what happens you know with with the emergence of um, Kieran Kieran Byrne? Who knows? Who knows? But it's it's going to uh, it's going to make life interesting, isn't it? Um, well, speaking of making life interesting, you have the the unenviable task, Tony, oh. of giving us your three, two, one. Tough, for, tough call uh, for Carlton's one point victory over GWS. Yes, horribly um, inaccurate. Yes, but um, it, when it came down to it, it was a heart stopping, thrilling win, and it was. much deserved for the baggers. Who did you like? And, and thank you, Tony, for qualifying my call because it is hard to you know you can't fit everyone in. But I gave one vote to um, the Jones boy, Liam Jones. I thought he did an outstanding job on on um, Patton, and uh, particularly given the circumstances, where he was mm. at with his career, you know, the pressure that's been on him, you know, um, enormous pressure, all power to him. I dips my lid to Liam Jones. Two votes. Marked him hardly, uh, uh, harshly because of those just those set shots that he yeah. missed. But big cruise in game number 150. I thought he did an outstanding job on, on Mumford. And my three votes goes to our uh, inaugural winner of the award, Sam Doherty. Oh, Hard on. to go past him at the moment. On. He's in rare form. He's amazing. Uh, what, a, what a pickup he's been for us. Um, I love watching him play. I love the way he takes the game on and backs himself. And uh, in many ways, I look at Sam Doherty as the barometer. You know, mm. if, he, if he's really on song, I, I think the players lift accordingly. And uh, what an inspiring player he is and what a pickup he's been for Carlton. Um, Wright's been a great pickup too. He has indeed. Quietly, but Knows the where dog. they are, yes, Matthew doesn't Wright. He? he doesn't miss. But I did have my heart in the mouth for that kind of cheeky, kind of dribbled goal. That yes, another kind of varnish. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was a mile in tone. <laughs> and uh, and even thinking back on those those little kicks. Well, that was a death kick. But then yeah. that 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 thumping torp of oh, William Summers to land. Oh, what about Kuno's? Ed Kuno's from the... Kuno's was another great thread from the from yeah. the pocket. But then that torp that. You know, Jed Lamb, yeah, goal side, uh, one on one on one. From I don't know how far that kick went, it was 50 meters. That was top Fisher, on the run. It? No, Sumner, oh, Sumner, Sumner. Oh, was yeah, too. it was a great kick. Um, Not just love seeing it, but it, but well, it was it effective. Was, it, it, yeah. it was effective. So, you know, but what that also tells me is that players are thinking it through. We got clever players now, and players that you know, 
um, make the right call at mm. the right time. And um, that that was that was brilliant. That was a brilliant passage of play by Sumner, and um, all power to him, you know. Um, and Jed's a good finisher also, so that, that's very a, good. A very good call, Tone. To, Thank you. Just uh, was the bit of the old "Don't get it right, get it written." It was a bit of that kind of spirit, <laughs> exactly wasn't it? So. It doesn't exactly have to be so. pretty; it just has to be done. That's right. As long as it's done, who cares what it looks like? Now, Tone, um, we have a very special guest in the two tones uh, shortly to come in, and this is very exciting. You'll have to tell us the who, the where, the why. Well, uh, yes, Tony, um, we'll shortly be speaking to a, a young um, writer, a scribe, Dan Eddy is his name, uh, was previously responsible for the book, uh, the biography of Dick Reynolds. Now, he's taken a, 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 a quantum leap and gone for um, a different players of a different era in league football, and don't we love this lot? Oh. Uh, we're talking, Tone, of the, um, the 79, 81 and 82 premiership teams of the Carlton Football Club. Uh, those players that uh, Alex Jezelenko took to the top in 79 as captain coach. Mm. And then Parco as back-to-back coach through 81, 82. Dan's released this book, um, Larrikins and Legends, the untold story of Carlton's greatest era. Um, and he has basically spoken to every Carlton player that was involved in that glory era for the Carlton Football Club. Uh, he even got a couple of words with Bruce Dool, although there weren't, there weren't a hell of a lot uh, of words uh, imparted on Dan by Bruce. However, um, this is a great read. It's, uh, it tells a lot. I think if you read this book, it tells you a lot about the, the makeup of these players that, you know, we talk about tight-knit units. Oh, yeah. well, these were guys that really looked after each other's backs uh, and you know, they delivered. They were, they were hard men off the field. They were hard men on it. And um, they were part of this great era in Carlton history. And um, it'll, be, it'll be magnificent to talk to Dan in a moment about, um, about the story behind the story of this book. It was launched at Percy Jones's Hotel, the North Fitzroy Arms recently. I had the great fortune of being in attendance. And there was a terrific roll call of players from that era. Uh, you know, we're talking players like Wayne Johnston, oh. Warren Jones, oh. Mario Bortolotto, um, uh, Alex Marcou, um, some great players uh, all turned out. Um, uh, there's such a tight group. Jim Buckley was another one who was there. Just Val Perifik, you go on. Um, great men, great men of stature. You know, I had a, the great honour, Tony, of starting out my journalistic profession in the era when these fellows were still going around. Mm. And these were days when players were still semi-professional. So they weren't living in the bubble, so to speak. So what it meant was you could actually go out and socialise with them. These were fellows that they, they played the game and then went to work. Mm. So there was scope for, um, you know... Um, I guess more of a rapport with these players. You know, like us, they, they worked mm. uh, as well as uh, when they played. Um, and um, I think there was more of a trust between the fourth estate, the writers mm. and the players of that time. You know, when I look at these players from 81, 82, you know, you could argue, you know, it was Rose Gallery in many respects. And there were a lot of, lot of things that these players got up to that, you know, weren't exactly the, you know, you know, the greatest things of all time, things that happened off the field. But you tended to turn a blind eye to it because, you, you, you know, they, they were deep down good guys mm. and you didn't want to burn them, you know. And yeah. um, invariably, if you heard of a story, one of them was, you know, got into trouble, you go easy on them and you get a story as a payback anyway. Mm. So um, there, was that, there was that, you know, what am I trying to say, that trust 
yeah. I suppose. Yeah, that and, and also, you know, the, the number of football writers uh, working full-time then compared to now Very means true. that, you know... Very true. You, you've got uh, so many people chasing even the slightest yes. um, story yes. uh, now, which yes. tends to blow everything up. That's that's very true. But um, they were a great group of men, you know, um, and, of course, if you're a current supporter in that period of time, you would still say to this day that you were spoiled oh. because, you know, this, yeah. was a, this was a machine. You know, they talk about the, the 27, 28, 29, 30 Collingwood team, you know, the, the machine. Well, well, this was probably as close as Carlton had to a, to a machine, I think. And I did laugh when David Parkin addressed the launch where he said the, the book Larrikins and Legends probably should have been instead uh, named Legends and Larrikins because mm. he felt that there were more Legends and Larrikins. He said he, he went through his list of players that had participated in those three premierships and I think he came up with something like 27 legends, as he would term them, and probably about eight larrikins. And Jimmy Buckley was probably a legend at a larrikin mm, yeah. uh, at the same time. So um, a great book, a great read, and uh, I'm sure Dan will uh, enlighten us with uh, the story behind the story when we speak to him soon. Dan Eddy, good afternoon to you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for um, being here and... Um, we're really looking forward to hearing the story behind the story of this magnificent tome that you've written, um, Larrikins and Legends. Um, it's a magnificent um, uh, microcosm of uh, league football when you're looking at this particular group of characters and personalities who were seriously good footballers <laughs> too. Um, when you reflect on the, on the experience of writing this book, what... what comes to mind when you think about the journey that you've been on to write this book? Just the uh, the bond between all the players and the staff and the partners and, the, you know, everyone involved. The bond really surprised me. Um, some teams, speaking with David Parkin about it, and what really interested me with this story was the fact that he said how tight they were and how they were the most coachable team he ever coached, really, and the most talented. Um, he said the 95 team obviously was a really special team, but they didn't have that bond off the field that these guys have, and it continues to this day, and that was the most evident thing that I found. And was it David Parkin that really was the catalyst for you writing this book? Was it something that he said or, or that that really flicked the switch for you? He said, I must write this book? Yeah, he... Uh we were talking, well, I was interviewing him for something else, actually, and he, we got talking about Bruce Dool, and then we got onto this team and he, he started giving me a real insight into the, into the team and I was really um, surprised. Um, I knew they'd won the premierships, but I guess I didn't know much of the backstory and much about the players themselves. So um, I went home after having a good chat with him and crunched a few numbers and realised that percentage-wise, winning percentage, they're up there with all the great teams of all time, but we, we don't talk about them like we do certainly the modern greats, Brisbane and Geelong and Hawthorne and even Collingwood's in the past, and we don't talk about them the same way. So that's why I really got excited by the project. Can I ask you why that is, Dan? Is it... Well, yeah, the simple question is why. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a strange one because... It's not that long ago, you know. It's not like Collingwood of the 1920s where no one's around anymore. I think there's a few reasons. One is the fact that they win one in 79 and then there's, then we go into the early 80s before they win the, the next two and there's, yeah. there's almost that decade crossover and whether that's a strange mm. thing to tie it in together, I'm not sure. But then they have three different main coaches during that period as well. So they have three different culture changes in a way mm. uh, during that period and then... 
even though the guys, uh, some are quite loud and outspoken characters, but they don't pump their tyres up. Mm. So it hasn't been a case, for some reason they don't, uh, I don't know why people haven't gravitated to them and sort of put them up on that pedestal where they should be because, yeah. Um, just before he came in, I was mentioning to Tony that I, I can recall either Ken Hunter or McClure saying at some point along the way that you hadn't arrived as a Carlton player in that period until you'd played well in finals. Not played for the club or made finals, but played well in finals. Mm. Do you think that this was a team, and not taking anything away from David Parkin at all, but this was a team that effectively coached itself? Or, or you know, what, what um, credit do you give David Parkin in moulding these this group of you know misfits <laughs> into a well-oiled you know football machine. Yeah, I think uh, certainly in the middle period when Purse is uh, sort of brought into coach and mould the team back together after Jezza and uh, George Harris left, the players said they probably had more. They coached more themselves then. Um, Purse was the fun guy to be around, but whether he was that disciplined, uh, respected. Figure in terms of uh, laying down the law, I don't know. The purse was was that man, but he. Uh, so the players, McClure and guys like that, talk about that year as being more one they coached themselves. Um, but their their understanding of what they needed to do to train well that came early early years for someone like a David Mackay or Jeff Southby came from Barassi uh, back in the late sixties, early seventies, and then Jezza really took that to another level again uh, in the late. 70s at the start of this era so he's the one that really sets the groundwork for them to know mentally what they needed to do to, to, to go out and win and then Parkin brought a whole new meaning of professionalism to it that, that allowed them to win those next two. Yeah. So it wasn't you know um, let's say fortuitous happenstance whereby a, a, an assemblage of talent just arrives at Carlton and then all of a sudden you've got the nucleus or the the makings of a team that wins three out of four grand finals. So if you had to identify, let's say, the three factors that went into getting this team, you've just touched on them then, but if you had to boil them down to three, what do you reckon they'd be? Or incidents, personnel or factors? Yeah, there's this fantastic blend of players that you get. When Jezza takes over as coach, there's, there's himself, Percy... David Mackay, Jeff Southby, even Bruce Dool. These guys are the senior guys by then. And then you've got the middle tier guys of McClure and Fitzy and, and these blokes. And then uh, then this young crew come in. So they had this blend straight away mm. where um, because of the strength of those senior guys, they were able to integrate the younger blokes pretty much straight away. They knew standards. They knew how much fun they could have without going too far. If yep. that's the, <laughs> And but they had a they had their own self driven peer group which uh, we do the the league uh, the leading teams model now with Geelong and Sydney and those guys did that but this was an unofficial leading teams back then so they had that that was one of the key elements the other another key element was the fact that when Barassi and George Harris came in in '65 they uh, taught the club that winning was the only acceptable thing basically mm. so. By the time I guess that that carries through pretty much until the late nineties in a way, doesn't it? Until mm. um, probably Parkham finishes up that 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 expectation and outside that looks like an arrogance for, mm. because it was just a, an expectation that's in the club that's no, we expect you to win every week, and that's mm. when you're talking about the the um, the 
expectation to play well in finals. Wayne Johnston and, and uh, Wayne Harms say that, but it, it was a non-negotiable. You, you, mm-hmm. you, if you played for Carlton and you wanted to keep playing for Carlton, you better perform on the big games. So there's a whole peer thing. There's a culture thing that's come through with Barassi. The third one, the mateship off the field is pretty unique what they've got. So uh, the larrikin side of it, when they'd uh, hit the town and Wayne Johnston was at a nightclub before the 79 grand final, <laughs> the Friday night. <laughs> and the, the perfect lead-in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He said, I didn't drink, though. He, he, didn't he said, drink. I went home and watched footy marathon and went to bed. But uh, I'm not sure about that. But No, yes. that's a fair call. Um, now, I'm, am I right in saying that you've got to pretty much all of the players that featured in this, you know, this glory year of Carlton history, including the great Bruce Duell. And I know, I know, you know, Bruce wasn't exactly, you know, fourth, overly forthcoming what he said. Can you tell the story about your dealings with the great man? Yeah, I will, yeah. There's 58 guys who played one game at least in that 79 to 82 period, that four-year period. So I tried to get to 58. Sadly, Dennis Collins has passed away, so there's 57. I probably got to about 50. There's a couple that uh, were a bit hard to... Didn't like answering their phone, but I got to majority, which was great. Guys that played one game and guys that played 90 games in that four-year period. Um, Jeff Southby teed up Bruce Dool for me, so you can imagine how excited I was. Oh. This was going to be the coup of the year. Yeah. <laughs> he said, he'll ring you tomorrow. So I had the phone, didn't leave my side all day, all day. And uh, I put off going to the toilet. I put off... Uh, no one else was allowed to ring me. At five minutes to five, I was busting, so I went to the toilet. Should have took it with me. I literally came back three minutes later, and uh, there's a message on my phone. I could not believe it. A message? Was it just silence? Uh, well, that's what I was expecting, but it was... Uh, I've still got it saved somewhere, actually. I'll never delete it. Um, yeah, it just said, oh, look, uh, Dan, I really appreciate the, the offer, but I've had to think about it, and I, uh, I don't think I... I want to contribute, but good luck with your project. And uh, oh, Bruce! Yeah, I was, I I was still, half shattered and yeah. half thrilled. By I still that. think that's a good get. <laughs> yeah. In my opinion, that's a very good get. But look, it was very interesting to hear you talk about that. I mean, the sheer mass of players that you got to. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who, who didn't you get to? What, and yep. Was there a reason for that? Or, or? Uh, there's a couple that just the club just we couldn't find numbers for Jeff yep. Southby, and I had I had everyone on the case, and we just could not. They might be listening, you know. It's, well, I hope it's they probably are. a bit late for you. <laughs> It yeah, is, but, but it'd be uh, nice to get oh, there. Oh, there's always a reprint. There is Definitely. always a reprint. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, just going through it, there's only a handful um, from the start. Peter Fitzpatrick was one I couldn't track down for some reason. Um, Any relation? No, no, he's dead, actually. Okay. no, don't believe so. Um, different build, different. Uh, I'm not sure where he came from. Yeah, we just couldn't find Peter. Yeah. Um, we couldn't find Steve Easton. He only played yeah. the one game, but it would have been fantastic just to just yeah. to get him. Northern Suburbs boy, I reckon I could have helped you there. Oh, damn. <laughs> Rod- oh now <laughs> you say. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, Rod Gold was one I could... Really? Yeah, yeah, he's, up, he's up Queensland, I think. Oh, he's on, yeah, yeah. Oh, Spook. Just, yeah. Spook, yeah, that's yep. right. Yep. Uh, there's a couple more, but... Uh, don't that's that's a that's a damn fine effort though. Don't you think know, I got yeah. Ryan Burke, but I got the rest. Yeah, yeah, and they were all forthcoming. They were happy to cooperate. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The, the guys from one game, you know, um, Rob Dutton might have played one right, game, and right. Rob was a lovely bloke. And then you, Fitzy and Dooley played ninety odd games. They were the leaders in that games category. But yep. um, yeah, everyone, guys like Brendan Hartney, who probably could have gone on and played a great career. 
um, at another club, but just happened to be at Carlton. And uh, the, the opportunities, he won something like seven Bendigo Best and Ferris or something. Right. You know, he was this, so they had. It was surprised me. There's just so many great players. I got to Lance Whitnell's dad, uh, Graham, Graham, who yes. was, he played a couple of games yeah. in this era. And, Mary Burr, yeah. and even guys like David uh, David Glasscott, no uh, Molly Meldrum, uh, you know um, yeah. Paul Meldrum. He uh, he only came in right at the end, and same with Spiro Kukamilis. But I got to them as well, even though they might have just played a couple of games at the end of that era. And there was such a great roll call of players at the launch at the North Fitzroy Arms Percy's Pub, which again I think illustrated exactly what you've said here today about the the the, the mateship that exists between this group. Mm. It is it is rather unique, isn't it? That they're they're so tight knit this group, and it's what thirty five years after the event. Yeah, it's amazing. David Park and you know how he does his his rides for prostate cancer around the around the state. Uh, must do that every year. And um, he was there was a one a couple of years ago he was doing, and there was a Melbourne Cup day. So you know it's hard to get blokes on a Melbourne Cup day as it is, but he's having a function in Bendigo, and he just put the feeler out to a few of the players, hoping a couple might turn up for this function and talk. And he said something like fifteen turned up, and uh, wow. uh, Marku just didn't, wasn't on that list, and uh, he turned up anyway. You know, they just love. He said he'll ring them. He'll be sitting at home, and ten blokes will ring him. You know, they'll be together, and they just want to speak to the coach, so they just oh. ring him. And so it's a really so. As you saw at the launch, I mean, we had. Uh, there might have been 15 or 20 of the guys that were... It was the middle of the day, so they took work off and just dropped in. And there was a few that hung around later on. Uh, wow and uh, wow and Marku were still there uh, when uh, Perth kicked them out, I think. I, I want to ask you about that. that the off-field, let's call them shenanigans, you don't see players indulge in that. There's, there's this horrible almost self-consciousness now about... Mm. You know, if, if a player is is reported uh, having had a few too many out, and then there's the yeah. requisite public apology and humiliation for a young man in his twenties having too much beer, which I think is ludicrous. There's yes. nothing wrong with that. Go, go out and do it. Um, just don't just don't hurt anyone in the process. Yeah. What story comes to mind when you think about these guys and their off-field antics? Uh, probably how they had to keep uh, swapping pubs because David Parkin kept spying on them. So he'd say, I don't want to see you at that pub anymore. So McClure said, OK, we'll, we'll go to another pub. So, so they, you know, there was a bit of rings and rings, Rosie, trying to yeah, keep yeah, up it, with it him. It went but... from Norton's down to the, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the <laughs> university <laughs> hotel and everywhere. But uh, great. And there is a story, Dan, could you relate about the day Jimmy Buckley returned to the club late for training after a midweek race meeting? Oh, yes. What was that? Uh, was... He had, had a bit of a collect, hadn't he? And they, they called him in. Yeah, he was going to. Yeah, who was the who would have been the staff that would have called him? Lofts oh, Wes would have called him in. He was going to uh, give him the, the what for for uh, being late and hung over, perhaps. And, and he, re- he reached into his, <laughs> his coat. He said, "Wes said we're going to have to find you, Jimmy." And he reached into his <laughs> top coat and pulled out twenty thousand through on the table and said, "Take what you want." <laughs> Oh, he, was free of, he was a hard man to get, Jim. It took me a long time to get to Jim, but I eventually uh, was able to track him down. Yeah. And, he, uh, and it was he's fantastic. His, his efforts to play in the 82 grand final deserve a little story on their own. Well, he, he was best and fairest in a premiership year and he had he battled with glandular fever. And yeah. did he tell you the story about he broke his thumb yep. and, he, and he had a cast made? Do you know that story? The yeah, final yeah. Because I asked him in the in the eighty two grand final when the when the all in brawl starts, mm. there's a moment where Robert Wiley tries to take off Ken Sheldon's head, 
<laughs> and misses. Ken sort of ducks, mm. and while he sort of falls over the top, in, in, the momentum carries him onto the onto the deck. From right of screen on the tell you see Jay Buckley <laughs> walk in and, and look over the shoulder to see where the umpire is, and obviously the umpire wasn't looking. Yeah. So Jimmy goes over and actually sinks the slipper. Really, Robert Wiley. Mm. And I, I, years later, I've caught up with Jimmy and I said, Jimmy, the incident with Robert Wiley in the eighty-two Grand Final. I couldn't. I didn't have to say anything more. He said, "I can explain everything." Uh. <laughs> and he said it was because he, he he got the broken thumb leading into that final series and was actually worried that he wasn't going to be able to play. Someone fabricated this fiberglass cast for him, and he said it was fantastic. I could mark the ball of training. It was it was all set to go, and he was either, he was driving to the ground and he had the cast on the dashboard, and there was a bit of heat that day, and the oh, the part of the fiberglass cast melted mm. and he couldn't use it so he said the reason I kicked Robert Wiley is because I couldn't hit him <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another story but there's backstory to that too uh, I think it must have been heading to training and it melted because he said on the Thursday night when they went to select the team he, he was in the corridor and he could hear the murmurings and he thought they're, get, they're not going to play me because of this hand and I just because he couldn't market training because it had melted that day so he must have trained the Tuesday and then it must have melted before the Thursday. And he, yeah, so he's, he's in the corridor and he thinks, oh, I'm, I'm going to get dropped here. And uh, so who was, your, who was the big, um, Jack Rout, Jack Rout, the um, selector. Jack came out into the corridor and Jim thought, I'm going to have to do something here. So he picked Jack up with his, by the throat with his sore hand and he held him there and he said, it's the most pain he's ever had in his life. When he put Jack down, uh, Jack said, uh, I think we'll be playing Jimmy this week. <laughs> but he said it was the most agony he's ever been through. Well, well Jack yeah. waited a tub. <laughs> uh, but, yes. Now, the, the story, the Alex Marco, if you've never had the chance of Alex Marco talking about going to the lodge, you've truly missed something because yes. it is magnificent. <laughs> but what... Um, well, you would have heard that story from a number of perspectives. Now, the team has flown to Canberra to go to the lodge. Um, if they didn't take luggage with them, they certainly took, lu- <laughs> took luggage home with them because talk about a home invasion. Ian Rice was horrified when I told him what, uh, what Wayne Harms had taken. Uh, you want to tell us? <laughs> it, was, it was half the cutlery service, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yes, and he, reckons, and he reckons there was a golf club down his leg of his pants. <laughs> One of Malcolm's golf clubs. Yeah, he, which um, um, Ian didn't know much of that, so he was horrified. But he had Ian had warned uh, the Prime Minister that uh, you're making a mistake inviting them up because it, uh, you know, they're going to get pretty drunk and and play up. But he didn't think they were going to walk out with half the cutlery. They said the second time they went back, it was all paper plates and everything. <laughs> so they'd, they'd learnt. But um, they were the first. Apparently the first sports team invited to the Lodge, the first Australian... Um, we know America, they do it every year with yeah. the Super Bowl and everything. Um, yeah, they were the first team that were actually invited to the Prime Minister's residence. So. Because of that, the last. Yes. 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 But there, there is a, there is a ris- risque, rather risque story about yes. involving Alex Marcoux. Yes. And that. But Alex, to his credit, at your launch, said, uh, I could talk about that, but it's all in the book. Oh, good <laughs> man. The book. So well, there we go. Well, for, for, yeah, listeners, buy the book to learn that story. Dan, before we round up um, and changing tack, I understand you're writing a thesis on the life of Alex Jezelenko. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's hard. When, when I say to people I'm, I'm doing a PhD on Jezel, they laugh at me. They don't believe that's true. But uh, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a fascinating. As you know, it's probably the greatest story in footy uh, with the with the whole backstory and what he achieves. So, uh, and also, as you know, Jesus probably doesn't open up a lot anymore. So, uh, the fact that he's been willing to uh, open up his life to me has been uh, huge for yeah for the club's records and and for my uh, my project. His daughters have been fantastic, and we're really delving into his family history. I've tracked down all his school friends and. Um, people that he hasn't seen for a long time and so uh yeah through federation university we're putting together a nice jazz is the main topic of the project and then we look at what's happening around his time in the game and pretty tumultuous time during the 80s and he experiences sackings and different things and so there's a lot to look into and obviously his migrant journey is is a book in itself it's yeah. pretty amazing so. amazing story and all power to you for that and when how far through it are you when yeah. when do we see it it's it's going to be uh, what 40,000 words or so no or closer to 100 yeah 100? wow um probably i'd like to have it written within the next 12 months but i've probably got two years tops to have it done by so um, i've got a scholarship through federation university to do it so a three-year scholarship so Heading to Europe next month to uh, go to where he was born in Salzburg and check a few things out there and just get a feel for where he he was born in a prison camp in Salzburg. So it's quite a remarkable story. Comes out here and he's in a camp at Canberra for another... I think he's seven or eight or nine even before he's living outside of camps. So Mm. it's a really amazing... And he doesn't touch a footy probably till 12 or 13. Um, yeah, remarkable story. Well, he's on the front cover here, um, you know, in his last game for the Carlton Football Club, leading off the boys arm and arm with Robert Klomp and uh, the 1979 Premiership Cup in his right hand. Percy Jones in his last game watches on. This is a must-read for any Carlton supporter, well, who, like us, Tone, was old enough to, to savour this great year oh. in Carlton history. Any of us who lived through it will will say, any self-respecting council will say, we were totally spoiled. We've seen greatness uh, on the field in this particular era. For those who weren't part of it, uh, who young kids that have grown up in a in an era that's sadly been bereft of true success, yeah. um, I think there is a lot that they can learn from um, the DNA of this team. What made this team tick, and what set it apart from so many? many other teams of different clubs along the journey. Uh, Larrikins and Legends, the, car- the untold story of Carlton's greatest era, Dan, it's a credit to you. Yes. Well, well done. You, it's a great thing you've done for the Carlton Football Club and Thanks, for football. Um, and I'm just quoting from the back of the book here, uh, Ken Hunt, a three-time Carlton Premiership player. They played hard on the field and played hard off the field too, but it had a great way of bonding the players. Where do we buy it? Uh, it's in the Carlton shop, which is great, um, and it's in all those uh, all the main bookstores. You can go down to Dimmicks, or you can uh, Reading's up here in Carlton. Be fantastic uh, drop in there, the the centre of where all this took place, I guess. Uh, Logon Street area, so uh, yeah, and uh, or also slatterymedia dot com as well. There you go, Dan. Thank you so much for coming in and telling us about Larrikins and Legends, and we look forward to. Um, the Jezza. But you'll be a doctor of Jezzalinka. Yeah, that's right. Who'd have thought? Have, you got, have you got a title yet? Working title be Doctor Dan. You beauty. Oh, yeah, no, it's um, yeah, it's it's Ellis Jezzalinka and the the changing face of Australian football. But if he ever allows me to turn it into a book, we've got uh, an amazing story to come out of that thesis. Yeah, and the movie can't be too far the away. Movie, we hope. Yeah. There we go. Thank you, Dan. Uh, Dan Eddie, uh, Larrikins and Legends. Yeah.